Welcome to episode 11 of Developer Milage, the podcast about developing software in the 21st century directly from Vienna, Austria. Developer Milage brings a regular discussions about everything software development. You can find us online on developermilage.github.io and you can follow us on Twitter via at devmilage. That's Def, M-E-L-A-N-G-E. We're very keen on learning what you think about this show or the podcast itself. So please reach out for us on Twitter or leave your comments on our website. We appreciate all your feedback. And now here are your hosts. My name is Christian Haas. By day I work on safety critical software in Java and C++ and by night I develop on open source in Go. My name is Paul Rohatzka and I am a software developer with the heart of a tester. My name is David. I'm an enthusiastic software professional and work on various projects using a bunch of different stacks and environments. I don't sleep too much to open source and prefer keeping my code simple and small instead, instead of clever and edgy. We have our guest. next guest here um, today. Very welcome you, Sebastian. Thank so you. Please introduce welcome. yourself. What are you doing? What am I doing? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So, uh, hi, my name is Sebastian Dashner. I am officially a, what is called developer advocate. I work for this company called IBM. And I actually recently moved to Vienna, so that's, that's a fun fact. I am from uh, Germany, born and raised in Munich, and now I live in Vienna. And I do a lot of enterprise Java things and enterprise software in general. Uh, try to help developers facing the challenges of enterprise software, if you want. And trying to share knowledge, be it in um, you know blog posts, in articles, in digital uh, digital content, and speaking on conferences, speaking at meetups, and trying to educate folks on on enterprise, basically. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So when we're talking about Java and enterprise, there is this double E, isn't it? This Java E. Java E. -E. What's about yes. this? Well, what's about it? Uh, that's uh, that's a good question. So. Java EE, or it's how it's actually being called in the future, Jakarta EE. I don't know whether you heard about that, that okay. this is going to move to the Eclipse Foundation. Is basically one of the ways how to build enterprise software in Java, using Java. Well, EE stands for Enterprise Edition. Edition, oh, okay. Um, it's a good question whether in Jakarta EE that still stands for Enterprise uh, Edition due to legal reasons. I'm actually not 100% sure, but the EE part definitely sticks mm. in you know, people's, uh, people's heads. And um, well, it, it's basically the enterprise way how to, how to build software. Mm. So um, Java EE, or how it was uh, before J2EE, is, uh, be, um, is being built around standards, where multiple vendors like, came together and defined some certain standards, APIs, for enterprise developers how to do things, quote unquote. So in order to uh, understand that, you have to um, look a little bit into the history, how it was like maybe 15 years ago or, and longer, you know, how, how, it started, uh, how it all started with Java on the enterprise, um, when you know, a lot of projects needed to build some enterprise software. Right? They wanted to run on servers using whatever, HTTP, using database connections, using uh, protocols such as SOAP or what have you. Right? And you always had to implement either everything yourself or use some very vendor-specific software, right? And then you were learning <coughs> a bunch of APIs that are very specific to a particular server or a particular, you know, vendor, which locks you in, definitely. So not only from a project, but also from a development knowledge perspective, right? So then you're an expert on whatever, a specific system that you're building. 
But then um, what emerged basically was um, that a lot of software vendors like came together and said, okay, let's define some standards, like standard APIs, where then the projects um, are just being developed against these APIs, and then these APIs are being implemented by a server, right? By a server from multiple vendors, like there is one vendor that um, uh, do their things on their own, and the other one does it a little bit differently, but they all implement these APIs, and thus you can, you know, you have this uh, certain portability to begin with, and you also have to learn everything only once. Right. What so is this application servers? I, I always tend to explain them in a way that they are like, you know, dependency injection contexts, right? You just say you need an OR mapper, right? Okay. Yep. And you don't need to instance it on your own. You don't need to bring it with yep. your software. The application mm -hmm. server gives you this OR mapper, okay. for example, right? I see. So as an example. That's a very good point, actually. Uh -huh. So this is very nice for the developers from their perspective that these containers or servers or um, whatever you call them then can handle all these um, inversion of control for you. Like inversion of control IOC is typically what we call don't call us, we call you. So you don't call certain functionality directly in your code, but you do it uh, with like um, inversion. So for example, you annotate just your method with some annotation, you know, and then typically nothing happens, right? In Java, these annotations are there, you know, Nobody would care about them, and your program would just run. But of course, somebody has to call you. But that will happen from the container. Once you deploy your application to a container that is aware of all these you know, aspects and annotations and how to do things. Um, and that's very similar in you know, whether you use um, Java EE or Jakarta EE um, in the microprofile world, if you know about that, or whether you use Spring. They all use very similar concepts and way of programming in this way of what I would call declarative programming approach, which is actually very effective, right? Mm. So if you implement whatever, like you say, CDI with dependency injection, or yeah. if you implement some HTTP endpoints or some database connections, you literally just write your business logic in Java, <coughs> whatever your project does, and then you just annotate some aspects on it. You know, you just literally sprinkle some annotations over it and then then it will work. Okay, so this was the idea, right? And then somebody invented microservices. And then people started to, to go away from these um, services where they say, okay, you know, we get all our dependencies from outside. We want to be fully autonomous, right? Right. Well, I mean, microservices is, first of all, they these ideas don't even contradict, right? Okay. Because microservices are somewhat on different level. level. They are more on an architectural of view? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, sorry for interruption, but uh, maybe we can somehow then, then compare this with, with Java Beans, right? Uh -huh. With Castle Enterprise Beans, because right. if you think yeah, of I, want, them, I wanted to mention those. I, I'm absolutely ignorant about the Java platform, <laughs> and I know everybody hates and, and swears about Java Beans. So where yeah. does this fit into the picture? Oh, where does that in, fit into the picture? So Java Beans, there is actually a very old uh, specification how, like, Beans, as in you know, normal objects should be implemented. Um, how they have certain what is called properties and getters and setters mm -hmm. uh, and all that. What you're probably referring to is enterprise Java beans, EJBs, right? Because yeah. this is what typical, yeah. typically people swear about. Uh, so that has been oh god, that's that's a longer story. <laughs> and um, enterprise Java beans was uh, one way or the way how to implement um, your business logic beans. You know, the start of your business logic. The boundary or whatever you want to call it um, in your application. And um, they come with a few concerns that are handled out of the box. For example, they, um, they manage some, some sessions, if you tell them to. Um, that's why they're also called session beans. 
Um, they always come with some default uh, transaction going on for all these what is called business methods. Um, um, and a few, a few other concerns, like you had some, in the past you had things like um, local and remote um, beans um, there, so you could actually have a remote, uh, what, is, what was called remote EJB call with literally a very you know, proprietary Java way of calling things. Okay. And in, in the past, this was always, I mean, it's a nice idea, but it was always connected with a lot of headache and a lot of problems, especially the calling something over the wi wire, which is a very specific protocol and only works you know, with a very specific set of yeah. things. You have to have exactly these classes and these versions and mm. everything needs to be supported. And you know, yeah. uh, from experience, it was not, you know, the best way out to doing that. Um, actually, so nobody does it today anymore? Well, that's the thing. So uh, since EJB3, a lot of ch changed. Um, a lot of things changed. Um, specifically in the API, like how you use these beans, it's much, much easier, or with Java 6, um, I think it was, um, how they are being used. But <laughs> what I see actually the biggest problem is uh, we, ch we should have renamed them. Like just to something else, starting from EJB three. Beans. Oh, that that comes from the coffee actually, ah. because sometimes ah, you see the coffee yeah, beans, yeah, yeah. right? And then you have literally coffee beans, ah. right? Because of Java, ah. so you have this coffee language all over, right? And literally, in the yeah. individual beans. So that's that's quite funny. But but the original idea somehow always reminded me on microservices itself, right? Because you know you define your beans, you don't actually really need to know how to spin them up. They are just uh -huh. here at some point, right? You can uh -huh. just use them. Maybe they can even scale on their own, right? I mean, it's not. It's, it, this is. This yes. Is, yes, actually, they can. Well, it's, it's the promise of, of remote procedure calls and stuff like this to, to be completely transparent from the location of the of the party yeah, that you're calling I always, with all its problems. For sure, but I always thought about the, the, the enterprise beans, you know. Somewhere living in the cloud, so not in the cloud we know today, but you know, mm. in a cloud of, of beans, and, and you know, you just can call them and they are here and you know they spin up and they they they, they so, do their own session okay, so you call very into this cloud and, actually and someone reacts and somehow it got yeah and the cloud was not the cloud back yeah, then sure, it was sure. just an application server a, a cloud of points yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I see your point yeah and you have dependency injection in a way as you would have service lookup exactly in exactly. a microservice world exactly. and yeah okay. calling these components yeah there's there's probably some yeah some similarities Okay, so, so on a different level, of course, yes, but actually well, it was yes. really, you know, loose coupled. Uh, the, the beans are itself very autonomous, right? So they don't have, they, they, they don't need some other beans really to, to work. They, mm -hmm. they, you know, they work on their own. So a little bit like, you know, microservices are now on, on, a, on a way higher level, but, but on an application server level, I think it's, I mean, of course it's not really comparable, but mm -hmm. if you want to understand this, maybe this, this can go okay. Can, can give you guys some guidance here. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Okay, but let's uh, not talk too much about the old age and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So well, actually, yeah, yeah. The I mean, the development concepts are very still pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, if you look across all how I would call it enterprise Java, right, including Spring, including other frameworks, they very often do things in a very similar way. So once you understood, you know, like. Java E or Spring, you know, you almost understood you know, like all of them. Always so, how's the relation between that. Spring and, and Java E? Is Spring one of the implementations? No. Of no. No, no, or actually partly. Actually, Spring does implement some of the Java E specifications, but in general, um, Spring um, is a um, like 
its own you know defector standard um, it's very widely adopted a lot of lot of people uh, around the world use uh, spring for building uh, enterprise systems it's basically an own vendor um, way of, of building enterprise systems but it's all open source by pivotal right now it was like I think they got acquired like multiple times so switched uh, companies multiple uh, multiple times and um, it was originally um, basically being introduced with um, J2EE, what it was back then, like being way too heavyweight, you know, with all these assumptions that you need to build up with all these heavyweight application servers and slow runtimes that, you know, you need to fire up in order to do things. Um, and then it just emerged with um, very pragmatic and effective ways of, you know, getting, getting things accomplished, you know, like the developer productivity was pretty high with these declarative approaches of putting annotations on your, uh, on your code and everything. Um, and then afterwards, a few years later, you could say Java EE caught up in terms of APIs. Uh, so that's basically how it, how it always uh, kind of was. Like a Spring is very um, um, like um, innovation-oriented because it's just like a single vendor and, you know, it's all a single ecosystem. It's all open source, but uh, basically you have like a single vendor driving the whole thing. So you don't need to, you know, have a lot of parties, a lot of vendors where you need to agree on a standard. It's pivotal, isn't it? Yes, yes. And um, as opposed to Java Enterprise, um, you have multiple vendors, basically all of the um, application server vendors, that always have to agree on putting something into a standard. And it's a little bit more, you know, like stable, slower. Everything that you put into a standard will almost stick there forever, literally, and will be supported forever. So it's, you know, way slower and way more conservative what to put in, yeah. so to say. So a Spring, for example, like could break a few things in the past and just say, okay, we support this, and then it turned out that approach didn't go that well. And you know, just being more, uh, having more innovation, being more agile, if you want, um, and just you know. But do you think this idea forward. of standards worked out at the end? Um, ultimately, I do think so. Um, in terms of the APIs that is being produced, so if you look at APIs such as JAXRS or CDI or even you know like JSONB, JAXB, if you want, they are very widely adopted, and typically developers, you know, really like them, <coughs> like to use them because that's really you know like well established. Also, you know, thanks to approaches uh, such as Spring, um, uh, absolutely, because you know yeah. you have a lot of projects or defector standards that try <coughs> things out. And then you see what worked and what didn't, you know. And if you form then a new API, you can you can totally you know reuse all these ideas and findings well, I, and, and build. I think many Java nice actually API. Java standards uh, were introduced by by already existing implementations. Right? Oh yeah, absolutely. For example, you took a oh, look at Yoda yeah. time and, and now the new the date API, right? They are they were really very similar. similar right? Yes, and, and you that's see all these, good, yes, right? all the learnings. Yeah, that, that's that's cool. I think in the Java mm -hmm. API that the, you know they don't invent it real completely new because they think we need to do it on our own again, right? Mm -hmm. Just take a look at existing um, implementations and try to generate standards out of it. But and I think that's a good thing. De definitely, it's a, it's a very good M thing. May I ask a, uh, another mm -hmm. ignorant question? Is uh, JPA part mm -hmm. of the t this picture? Yes, it's actually part of Java EE. Uh, it is okay. a, star a standard within okay. uh, Java EE. So it's um, a Java and it's Persistence... Also, uh, <coughs> yes, it's called Java Persistence API. Yeah, API. Okay. Uh, and it's also implemented by Spring and supported by Spring. Ah, okay, cool. So they also do more on top of it. But you know, that's one of the examples where Spring uses a Java EE component, 
You know? okay. So it's not one versus the other. They, they live together very you know, nicely, actually. Mm -hmm. um, same with servlets. Servlets are being used within the spring like all over. So that is very, uh, very similar. It's, it's just a, uh, a different way of doing things. Like um, a spring always uh, ships the implementation itself. So what, what you, we just uh, had with like application servers, that is being implemented by, by Spring, right? Mm -hmm. So Spring is the implementation. It does all this, you know, HTTP handling and database transactions and, um, and, and threading under the hood. Uh, what would otherwise be implemented by your application server. Mm -hmm. So with Java Enterprise, the app you're shipping, I mean, you don't write that code yourself, obviously, but uh, with Java EE, you're never shipping that code because that's part of your application server. You only ship, you know, literally your business logic that just call these APIs, and you rely on that later on. Your application server will do that. Uh, what, what would be a? a um, I'm still struggling with getting a picture of what these APIs could be or would be. Uh -huh. So what are, what are typically standardized APIs? Oh, what, it's, uh, things like um, HTTP handling and, and RESTful um, RESTful controllers. So you know about servlets, right? So nope. that's okay. Uh, a servlet is, uh, is basically a way how to handle HTTP requests. It's a very low-level, standardized way if you start up um, an HTTP server and then you know, an HTTP request arrives at that server, how to handle it. And it's a little bit, you know, uh, serverlet itself is just a little bit low-level. You have to implement all these, you know, get, uh, put posts and uh, methods yourself if you want to handle that for a specific resource, like as an URL, right? And then you um, typically build APIs on top of it, how to handle that with them more, you know, effectively. For example, uh, what is called JAXRS, that is like the de facto, uh, or no, that's the standard for um, RESTful web services, um, where you say you literally just write a Java class, and then by annotating it with, the name is at path, it's just you know an annotation, you make it a JAXRS resource, and then you can further annotate your methods that you have in this um, in this class. They can be totally arbitrary as long as they follow a certain standard, certain signature. Um, these methods will implement your HTTP verbs, your HTTP methods, if you uh, annotate them with, you know, at get, at post, uh, post, at put, and things like that. So that is very, very effective to write because you literally just throw in a class somewhere, annotate it with these annotations, and then your container would later on pick them up and deploy it as a what is called um, JAX-REST resource. Very similar in Spring. They're just called differently. They're called uh, Spring REST controllers. Uh, a little bit different annotation to make that a REST controller, and then you have you know slightly different annotations to do very much the same thing. Declarative way of you know producing these um, RESTful uh, resources. Okay, and uh, any other examples? Because the HTTP and REST APIs, they are pretty much I, I find them in every uh, language, every right. every oh, framework. JSF, for example, wherever. So, various languages, the HTTP. Okay, the other right. examples. Right, right. Uh, JS, uh, JSF is one. Um, it's not that much being used, um, Java server phase. It, it depends for, for what you're trying to do. Uh, that's a more effective way how to build like websites, especially like um, admin websites with a lot of uh, flows and forms um, uh, that you want to um, present to, you, uh, to your clients. Um, another so, example. So this includes controls and stuff? Or on yeah, what yeah level exactly, yes. Yeah, okay. So very like, um, okay. uh, yeah, high, high level. Um, other examples are database um, handling, for example. Transactions, there's a transaction API, like how to handle database transactions, when to roll them back. That also includes two-phase commit uh, protocols, which is not the best idea in distributed systems, but yes, it does. And sometimes it's, well, it depends. Sometimes it's required um, or helpful, so to say. Um, 
what else? Like a lot of um, standards that are actually implemented, for example, WebSocket protocol mm -hmm. is being implemented by an, uh, by an API. Okay, and, um, and this then all goes in the direction of, of annotations or regular a lot interfaces? Of them do, well? A lot of them do, yes. Okay. Sometimes regular interfaces, sometimes you have just like types that are being supported. It, it really depends what, you, what you're accomplishing, right? But okay. the, the, the thing is, you know, you never know what's the implementation behind yes. it, right? Okay, yeah, so that's the really the big advantage, for example, to Spring, right? Because it, it, it really depends on the application server, which, for example, our JSF implementation it supports, right? Or it gives you, right? Okay, so you essentially say, I want to have this external interface. For example, the logger is a good example. You have a logger interface, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a logger specification and you say, okay, I need to log something, right? And then you say, I, I just use the log logger specification, but I don't really couple tightly to a specific logger, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can always change the logger. For whatever reason you want to do, I mean, this is mainly the, the point of people who say that's, that's somehow useless because, you know, why do we really need this, right? How, how often did you change your logger in your existing Java enterprise applications, right? You choose it once and then you just use it, right? Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's good to have those standards because you are not at vendor locked, actually, what, what you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. Okay, so these, the, the APIs are then, okay, now I understand the picture even more. The API itself is vendor agnostic. And, totally. And instead of t taking whatever Maven dependency, how, right. whatever was being built now, this is my ORM mapper or this yeah, WebSocket yeah, that's library. Point. Right. You don't really need a Maven dependency because the application server comes with this dependency. Right, I'm just yeah, trying to compare with, a, thing, with yes. a regular Java implementation. Yeah, yeah. I pick my Maven dependency mm -hmm. and have my WebSocket implementation according to this library. And exactly. Then either I have to bind myself according to their API yes. or if I want to be able to switch it in the future, I have to make my own wrapper. Yes, and then exactly. Switch that exactly. Yeah, you, you can yeah. think of this wrapper, which is Java Enterprise, this mm -hmm. indirection, right? Yes. Between what you actually want to use and, and uh, what, what you need and what you really use then in, in the background mm. is, is actually, um, you know, there's an indirection in between. But I it's mean, Java yeah. Enterprise itself, uh, Maybe at least just for me, uh, because I'm, I think I'm living in a bubble, right? Like like everyone usually, and I had the feeling that Java Enterprise really had its issues when you know all these microservice architectures came up, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know, actually the things turned a little bit around, right? In the beginning, you applied your application to an um, an application server, and and this is how it worked, and then you said, okay, no, actually the, the application you know should spin up itself, should have its own. Um, web service included uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and it should be fully autonomous so we mm -hmm. can deploy it on its own and it can scale on its own. So how does, does Java Enterprise play into this, into this area of software development? Yeah, so that's, that's a very good point and you're absolutely right, um, especially with the isolation point of view that you just want to spin up your service and it should not you know, know about other applications or other microservices that are running there, at least not on a very low level coupling. Um, it does not really contradict the idea of, of Java Enterprise. I mean, this is mm -hmm. very much possible. And um, actually, what we do, or what has been done a lot, is, is just firing up a single application in a single enterprise container or application server, and you know, package that typically as a you know container, as a as in Linux container or Docker container, and. There you go. Then you have your isolated um, application that is literally abstracted on one level just w as a Linux running process. But it causes a lot of overhead, right? Yes, that, so that was initially what the well, haters kind say. of. Yes, what the haters say. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so um, originally, yes, absolutely. And there are a lot of um, like bad examples or you know prime examples for that. I mean, I work for IBM, so, so WebSphere is totally, like an old version of WebSphere is totally the example for that. Yes, I fully agree. I would not like to touch that. Uh, but thankfully, 
Um, there are a lot of really, you know, like optimized runtimes, um, EE runtimes, mm -hmm. that have emerged in the last years. And actually now for, for IBM Deliberty, so thankfully that's not, you know, we were talking about names before. That, that's not called WebSphere anymore. Well, the, the enterprise product is WebSphere Liberty and the open source version is Open Liberty. Mm -hmm. So that's an EE runtime yeah, that is highly this. optimized and one of the fastest and most uh, innovative ones out there. And I'm not saying that because they're my colleagues. I mean, in, in general, I was, I was using that before, and that's pretty impressive. I mean, with that runtime, you can start up in a few seconds. You deploy in one second or something like that, or a sub-second, which is like super fast. And, and also memory resource consumption and everything. Mm -hmm. That is not comparable to the past, thankfully. And then actually the, the idea was to, to introduce microprofiles, right? To, to cut a little bit down, yes. you know, the, 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 the yes. scope of Java Enterprise uh -huh. to say oh, that it gets a little bit lightweight, right? Right. Yeah, that and also the ability to innovate and advance a little bit faster, specifically in a time where there was not much progress due to a lot of political issues <laughs> with Java E. And then it was like, okay, we, we do want some innovation. We still want this, you know, collaboration from multiple vendors, which I think also makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, just agreeing on some some of the technology where, where also Java E falls short or fell short. So, for example, MicroProfile, what it started with was, uh, first of all, yes, putting together a very tiny runtime, just a few set of standards, like uh, they started with um, CDI, JaxRS, and JSONP to begin with. And then slowly other uh, uh, projects, um, how, how I see them um, as EE extensions emerged, you know, MicroProfile Config, Fault Tolerance, Metrics, Health Check uh, that we have now, and all, and all these. That also, this is uh, very interesting, I believe, can be used to extend Java EE because they play along very, very nicely. So mostly thanks to CDI because they're almost, you know, always CDI built is clear. on. What's CDI? Um, yeah. um, context independence injection, the standard for this, right? So they have known standards to, to implement context independence injection. And this well, CDI context as part context. of EE. Yes. Yep. Okay. And that is, is sorry, context independent. No, no context and, and dependency injection. Context so and dependency injection. Dependency injection. Yeah. Okay. And that's that's literally it. You have a very it's it's a very a powerful way and framework um, of doing dependency injection and defining well context and scopes of your beans of your components in your applications. Mm -hmm. So you literally you know define all your classes and then once you do that, that's typically what is called a bean. And then you can just simply by annotating things add inject another component in your bean without ever doing some actual invocations of, for example, new and calling constructor or something like that. So it's all within direction. And that's very, very um, powerful. You, you know, you can define like qualifiers and say, okay, in this case, I want to inject another type depending on some criteria. Um, and and it's, it's pretty much the glue and the core of, of every enterprise um, application. How many implementations of EE are there out there are, or are That's widely used? Actually, a good point. Um, yeah, so um, I'm, I'm not 100% sure because um, in the past you would have to um, like certify um, EE. Well, you probably, uh, you still will have to under the Eclipse Foundation uh, from mm -hmm. Oracle that was in the past. And um, I think there were a few runtimes where the public does, didn't even know or not, not really or were not really ad, um, advertised but only used internally. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I would say about a dozen maybe. Okay. But the most prominent ones are, I guess, like uh, now Liberty, um, um, uh, Widefly, um, uh, Tommy, uh, Payara, 
Um, what, what else is there for, for EE? I probably should know that out of my head better. <laughs> and, a f and, and a handful for a microprofile. Okay. Uh -huh. And a few actually that support both Java EE and microprofile. Uh -huh. And that's, I think, also an interesting approach where you can take microprofile not only as this you know, very thin and small and optimized runtime approach, but also an approach where you say, oh, hey, we would like to use actually a bunch of more of the EE standards because we need them, you know, like persistence, for example. Um, and then also just use these microprofile uh, projects as extensions, right? Mm -hmm. Of saying, hey, we need health checks as well, or we want yeah, to have definitely. some metrics or a configuration as well. Mm -hmm. And then you just pull them in, use a runtime that supports both. And um, Wi-Fi, Liberty, and Payara, and, and Tommy, for example, do so. And then you just, you know, go. And that's a very effective way how to do that, like as of today, I would say. Yeah, frankly speaking, I never worked with, with, um, with microprofiles. Um, all the other microservice projects I've seen so far mainly on, on, on Spring Boot or uh -huh. maybe Vertex. Uh -huh. so, so actually this is where I have some experience in. But what I, I find interesting about this micro, um, this microprofile approach is that actually, you know, you can use all the stuff you already know for your Java enterprise areas, right? You, you, you can all use all those features. And I think this is one of the, the selling points. Um, but, but still, how, how many, if you would say, you know, uh, if you take a look at all the uh, new projects out there on, on a Java environment, um, how many of them do you think are running on microprofiles? That's that's a good a good question. So we were trying to get some some numbers. I've seen really? okay. that's cool. um, I've seen some projects where we where we had some approaches of you know pulling that in slowly of what is typically being running uh, on an EE runtime oh. and then just using a few of the micro pro, um, profile projects also, um, especially if you already are on a runtime where that is being supported. Yeah. For yeah. example, Liberty. Then it's quite easy. You literally just yeah, de oh. you know declare another feature and that's it. Um, so is there actually a migration path from Java Enterprise to my, uh, microprofiles? Well, it's n not necessarily because it's um, so not as far as I know, and I would not say yes. Example, I, I know what up. you mean, but yeah. I would say it's it also doesn't probably it doesn't really make sense because the the components that are there, the the, the standards, the APIs uh, are just the same. If you use you know JAX-REST or CDI, that's yeah. the same. And then if you have a few aspects that are not there in microprofile, then probably they're not supported with plain microprofile, for example, uh, JPA yeah. or some more concurrency. Well, we're working on that. But, but, you know, and then it's also a question where I would say, okay, this probably doesn't make sense to then just boil it down just because we can and use microprofile, but just say, okay, why not use a slimmer, a more modern EE runtime and just run using that, right? Uh, but from a monolith, like architectural perspective, you know, that's a different story. If you have a very monolithic application that you would do a split out anyway, you know, regardless of the technology, you know, then that's you know that's not a question of the technology, and yeah, you would okay. apply these yeah, these, these mechanics to to split it up to to slice it up. So so actually, um, the 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 new rising star in the in the Java world is now Gorkas. Mm -hmm. Can you explain this a little bit? How oh this yeah, together with with all the stuff we this, we talked about. This is actually now? a very very interesting. Um, approach and a project um, that I just like got my hands uh, down like very very briefly um, well what Quarkus is basically it is an approach to do uh, it's called a, a, I think a, a supersonic subatomic Java yeah, things yeah, like that like very, <laughs> very buzzwordy <laughs> approach but actually buzzword, buzzword very, Java. Very, yes absolutely <laughs> 
but very cool approach, I think. It's, uh, so the idea is, um, the motivation is to make like real cloud-native Java, yeah. um, especially in terms of runtime, in terms of resource consumption, startup time, and developer experience. Yeah. So to make it really tiny and really fast. And what I like about it, um, it builds, exactly what you just said, it builds on these Java Enterprise APIs. Because these APIs, it's, I think one of the biggest benefits, one of the nicest things we have in EEE, right? Like, I mean, who cares about slow application servers? But if you can now really optimize the runtime mm. or a runtime and still build on the same APIs, that is a very nice approach. Why? Because these APIs are very widely adopted. A lot of people know, you know, JAXRS and CDIs mm. know how to use that. And, you know, they have been tested and have proven themselves in the last so and so many years. So they're, you know, you can really build applications for that, yeah, right? Definitely, definitely. And if you if you look into a lot of other, you know, like serverless, quote unquote, or function as a service approaches, in my eyes, they don't really fly for more complex enterprise projects because mm -hmm. it's it's very you know nice if you can quickly fire up a hello yeah, world yeah, example yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. But if you really want to do some more sophisticated stuff, you need experience from you know an API that has proven itself for for more than you know a few weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so what Quarkus does. Um, it implements not all of the Java Enterprise APIs, but you know most of them. And um, what it does, it highly optimizes the runtime. So what does that mean? To get a little bit more technical, you basically try to get rid of all the reflection and indi indirection at runtime. So now this sounds a little bit like a paradox because I just talked about you know like indirection. Why that's a nice story to have as a developer. Well, it is very nice on a development, you know focus. So if you develop something, indirection is your friend, absolutely, because you don't need to know, know and invoke things directly, you know, but things are invoked for you. On a runtime, that's, that's really an issue because, you know, you literally can throw in everything you like and you have always have to scan the whole world. The runtime has to scan the whole world for every possible annotation, every possible feature that you could use and throw in each and every time at runtime because it's very flexible. You start up an application and you know the application knows nothing, first of all. It has to scan everything and then just build up and wire up all these dependencies mm -hmm. you know, to really boil it down to do actual invocations. Yeah. And until you get there, there's a lot of work to do. So what Quarkus does is basically doing two things. First of all, you try to get rid of all these, you know, um, all these indirection, all these um, inversion of control and try to really boil it down to the actual invocations. So what you do, you try to do that at build time, analyze everything, you know, scan and do a, a lot of very similar things that you would do yeah, in an application yeah, server. Definitely. Yeah. To then boil it down and have some execu executable code that has the actual invocations right yeah. there. So you just invoke it. But is this executable code still independent of the actual server or, or the no. actual container? Yes, no it is no, not. Of course, of course not. not. It of can't course not. because you just got rid of all the invocation. Okay. Which is okay if you just decide on a specific runtime, you know, at build time. Yeah. If you say, okay, now we use, you know, this, Quarkus, and then, you know, that's it. But it can also compile natively, right? Yes, that's the second thing. Yeah, exactly. So that's the second so optimization. That, that's, that, that's the thing for me, that this ahead-of-time approaches, you see them now really everywhere, right? You see them in Java, I think you also see them in .NET, where mm -hmm. you say, okay, you can build .NET Core now natively. You saw them in Kotlin, right? Mm -hmm. Which is more or less using, I think, somehow the same technologies in, in the background to, to compile natively. And you actually also see this ahead-of-time things, even in the JavaScript world, right? If you think of a few 
huge Angular applications these days, right? Mm -hmm. they, they, they shifted enormously from, from AngularJS, where they, you know, did all the evaluation at runtime, right? Now you have the Angular compiler in between, and it actually compiles a total different JavaScript, which is highly performant at runtime, right? And if you even go a step further and you say you, you have no server-side rendering, right? This is also some kind of a head-of-time compilation on the server, right? And you just get back the fully optimized JavaScript yeah. with all the state already, you know, set it in a level where the user actually expects it. So you, you really, you always try to push the startup time and also the performance in runtime, right? Mm -hmm. And this, this is what interests me so much that we, I, I think all the, all the players are going in this direction, right? And this is this is really interesting because I mean, um, there was Micronaut in the Java world, which, mm -hmm. which somehow started at, yeah. at least for me this this, this yes. hype of, of doing a head of time compilation, right? But you know what are, what are the limitations? I think there are a couple of limitations if, oh, you, yeah. if you go this direction. Uh, right? There are, and that's actually the interesting or the remarkable thing that Quarkus has done. So if we talk about um, AOT. Um, ahead of time uh, compilation. There are multiple um, implementations that, that aim for that. Um, Graal VM yeah. um, um, or um, internally Substrat VM is, is one of the like, most famous ones and that's actually uh, the one that Quarkus is be using. So uh, Graal VM, one thing, it is, um, I don't know what's the official name, it's kind of a JVM, but it's not sufficiently um, implementing all of the, you know, J, all of the thing, uh, things that a JVM should do. For example, it does the reflection a little bit, you know, in a different way, and is more, way more limited than a typical uh, out-of-the-box standard JVM, mm -hmm. which makes things much more complicated. So that means if you run a basic Java enterprise or a Spring application on that Graal VM and try to, you know, compile it natively, this will not work because of that reflection, because of all the assumptions that your container can do, you know, how reflection works and all that. Yeah. So that is now the remarkable the second optimization thing that Quarkus does. It really optimizes all these co uh, calls and all that code it produces for the Graal VM runtime, or it can optimize it for that. So that later on, you can boil it down to a native ahead of time compilation. But if, if for example, I use some, you know, external dependency, mm -hmm. I, I grab some Maven right. um, dependency. Right. I cannot ensure that this works, right? Yes, you cannot. I need, I need really to ask, hey, does this work with the ahead-of-time compilation? Um, because if much it, it uses depends, heavily yes. uh, reflection... If that would use a lot of you know, black magic and low-level things, yes. This might not work. That's correct. That's correct. So for example, Jackson. Does Jackson work? Um, Jackson is... Um, it's, it's not a JSONB implementation. It's a, it's a JSON mapping framework. I think it also now implements JSONB. Yeah, that's a standard so it, that came afterwards. It's a way of declaratively map um, Java objects to to JSON. Mm -hmm. so usually, much, a lot of like reflection. like JaxB, if you know that, does for XML. Mm -hmm. okay. Just Java objects to JSON and back. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that that that's one thing. Um, Quarkus has an implementation for that, as far as I know. So um, that's you know that that's another thing you have to optimize it for that. And as you say, this not everything will work out of the box. Uh, but what's the impressive thing of Quarkus is they really implemented a lot of the things that you typically would need in an enterprise application. So, for example, the whole microprofile, as far as I know, is supported, you know, with CDI, JAXRS. Um, persistence is supported with um, JPA and Hibernate. Sometimes it is a subset, and sometimes, you know, you have to do minor things differently. But it works as much that you can say, this is not only hell world, you can actually write a sophisticated enterprise application in that using... 95% of the same standards, you know, that you know if you've done enterprise Java in the past. 
with a highly optimized approach. And what is very nice is actually the development mode um, with a like Maven plugin you call Quarkus Dev or something, and you start it up and you literally edit your code and it will hot swap you know whatever you change the classes and it literally reloads in sub seconds. You you literally you know you you change a string that you do you hit save and the hit thing reloads and even before you go back to your browser or you to command line you just like redo the command and it will be changed yeah. and compare that you know with an super slow old-fashioned application server that needs to restart for minutes, you know, that's, that's a huge boost in productivity. That's really nice to use it. Yeah, that's, that's really a very cool. nice way. So what, what is your, if you, you take a look in the future, what, what do you think? Will, will Corcus be the future for everything? Do you think there are some constraints where you wouldn't use it or where you would recommend it? Well, uh, I mean, it's I, totally cloud-native, right? That's, that's yes. the whole idea so, behind it. So uh, is it true if you say everything which should not be cloud-native doesn't need to use it? But everything which should be, you know, work on the cloud seamlessly should maybe right, follow this right. approach. Well, it de it depends because what you really get, I mean, resource consumption is one thing that you um, you save yourself some resources uh, with memory consumption, everything. Startup time is the big sell. Yeah. And um, that yeah, you yeah. you know, especially if you compile it natively, you can start up in a few milliseconds. Like no yeah. kidding, the whole server, everything. That's just amazing, actually. Um, of course, not every project needs that, right? So what I what my um, you know. Uh, what my ideas for the future or my su uh, suggestion is that the Quarkus it won't be used for everything, but it's definitely a game changer. It's definitely you know yeah, a that's, that's what revolution yeah, yeah. In, in the enterprise Java. And I also don't see all of the other runtimes go away. I see a lot of more innovation coming, and they have to keep up, which is a good thing. You know, if m way more competition now for others to go for a similar approach. And actually, in, in Liberty also um, there have been like similar ideas. Um, and uh, for example, there's this uh, other JVM called OpenJ9, yeah. Eclipse OpenJ9. Uh, I don't know whether you heard about it. It does also a lot of um, actually really advanced AOT and class sharing um, approaches. One that actually supports the whole JVM like standards, even with the you know proper reflection, which is also very remarkable. So it doesn't go a lot of the you know shortcuts as I would say, like uh, Graal does. So it supports like proper proper Java, quote unquote. Um, of course, not with as low as of uh, startup times for now, but there's a lot of going on, a lot going on in that field. Yeah, this was impresses me the most, right? If you go to these Java conferences and you know you have this Java Enterprise developers who are doing Java Enterprise for I don't know 15 years and they say, Corkus changed changed everything, right? Mm -hmm. And this is really this is really mm -hmm. impressing, right? Because I think so, yeah. the whole community thinks think like so. this. I I'm not sure yet. Honestly, but it seems to be a good time to go into the Java ecosystem. Oh, yeah. So for me, as an ignorant developer... <laughs> well, but also in .NET, there's a lot of sure, going sure, on, sure. right? So I think it's... I but think Java was always, always a strange land for me, so I've mm -hmm. been given, now I have, I have the, the taste to... Well, well, I, I think anyway that the, sure. the, the, the race of, of, of languages became faster and faster, right? Yes. Yeah, and the language is not the topic, isn't it? Yeah, and anyway, yeah. yeah. But yeah, definitely startup time is one of the big things that the JVM always was lacking because of the JVM. Like even, for example, for me, I do a lot of the command line. And that is always a big, you know, big reason why not to do things in Java if you do like general purpose command line tools. Because no matter what you do, it will always start up in like at least 200 milliseconds or more, which is just like slow. Too slow mm. if you w really want to do things fast, mm. and you know with things like native compilation, then you can do like a lot of lot of more things by start, uh, starting that up yeah, really quickly. Even if you're not talking about enterprise. Yeah, Very definitely, cool, definitely. 
But it's so interesting because I think this whole ahead of time compilation we had this and then people said, you know, we moved this to, to just in time because we can usually optimize better at runtime, you know, if we get all the metrics yes, from runtime can. and then we go back again to this. That's that's really cool. Yes, thanks for giving us this, this very Absolutely. nice introduction. Thank you very much. Yeah. So Paul is now actually capable of doing Java, I guess, right? Yeah, just an <laughs> annotation. <laughs> <and> like tomorrow, <laughs> put up the website quarkus.io and learn about CDI and JAXRS. And so you will, still, you will start Eclipse tomorrow, not Visual Studio, I guess, right? Uh, <laughs> and it will still stumble across class path problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was actually, there was a... Uh, uh, a J sharp or something like this, right? There was a Java implementation exactly. back in the yeah, days yeah, for yeah, Microsoft. Really. Yeah, 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 it was at the .NET 1.1 yeah. time frame. Yeah. Nice. They supported Java on the .NET framework, uh, on the .NET runtime, yeah. actually. That's really... Well, of course, it was a bad idea to improve <laughs> C sharp. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Okay, very cool. So the community lookup... Yeah. So what is happening in Vienna? What is happening? What is That's happening? actually a good question I have because I literally just moved here. Yeah. And I know there is not a big Java conference now in Vienna. I know there are a bunch of meetups. And yeah. actually, I talked at the um, local Java user group oh, once or twice. Question. I talked to at least once in October last year. Okay. Uh, I visited that, and I know there are a lot of meetups going on. Yeah. But what, what is the, the status quo of this right now? Because I see a lot of IT at least. Like IT, well, you know, areas, I companies, and everything. So from my perspective, the, the Java user group is, is still quite active in mm -hmm. comparison to other Java user groups. I think that the whole, oh, yeah. narrow HD, you know, the Java user groups are not that active anymore as, as they were, at least I have the feeling. The Vienna Java user group is the, in the <coughs> technical university. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. Dominic Dorn is, I think, mm -hmm. the, the main organizer. Yeah. Also um, Peter Kofler, who is also mm -hmm. an, an organizer of this uh, podcast, usually is, is, I think, part of the organization mm -hmm. team still. Um, well, I think it's in like in most other cities. Um, I think the biggest audience usually comes, you know, to the to the very JavaScript-related meetups. Yeah. I think React is amazing. I think yeah. each meetup is like a small conference. Angular is, is okay. really huge. Oh wow! Okay. There is also Future.js. Um, at least this is where I um, attended a lot. And of course, there's the, the Java meetup. It's usually it's also quite cool because it's a technical university. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there was actually one about Quarkus um, a couple of weeks okay, ago. Okay, that's cool. Um, but I don't know. Is it is it on a is it on a on a monthly basis or is it just when somebody applies something? I'm not sure about the Java user group. Also not sure. I think they said they, they try to do it monthly. Or ah, okay. But I see quite some involvement, so they're pretty active. Yeah, yeah. Sure. They got a little bit more active now, I think, again, yeah. Well, and then what, what's your favorite meetup? What do you, what do you recommend, Sebastian? Well, mine is the, the DDD meetup, the domain-driven design meetup. Oh, okay. Yeah. And is there it's a .NET specific one as well? Or yes, Microsoft? Yes, it is, yes. Mm -hmm. It's a .NET. It's just called .NET Vienna, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think there are even two. Huh? There's the, the .NET user group, right? and there's the .NET Vienna meetup or something like this. Huh? Okay. But I'm not sure. Maybe Does I'm the user group really exist? Or be, is, it, is it active? I don't know. I'm not sure if it's active, yeah. but at least it existed some But there is something, yeah, for sure. Christian for sure knows if there's a Go meetup. Yes, I know, and it's, it's pretty much crumbled the second time. Because really? Go isn't that much of a, of a, of a big-time language, or at least it wasn't in the recent years. Perhaps it changes, though there was a second attempt at a Go meetup, and this one again was folding. Really? Okay. 
but it's, it's sad actually. It has no big company which is using Go in when or why, why is it there, not possible? Uh, I semi regularly look at uh, job openings and I do see more and more coming up, though it's not in a double digits even. Mm -hmm. So then and again I see some opening in Go. And I've heard there is a big reason ML community in Vienna. I'm well, absolutely not into it, but I've heard someone... Well, I was at the last Reasoner meetup. It's really a nice meetup because it's just a nice group of people. Most of them are mainly from the, you know, from the React world. Mm -hmm. So Reason ML is, is highly focused on, on React implementations and in Reason, at least that's my understanding. Um, maybe you heard about it because they have this conference now in Vienna. Okay. So the Reason ML conference, I think it's the, 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 the only one in the world, it's in Vienna really? usually, yeah, it's, yeah. it's organized by the two Viennese people, it's, it's, really, it's really nice that they do it. And actually, you know, Reason is... is so I think Nick Graf Nick is Graf, yeah, and yeah. Patrick um, Stapfer, yeah, we, we try to invite them maybe in the Melange also. Um, and the cool thing is that they really, you know, they, if you do one conference, in the whole world for one specific language, right? You get all the that's superstars big. of the sure. language, right? Cool. So yeah, you have people cool. from Facebook, and okay. it's still a very small conference, okay. I would say. So 200 people or something like this. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That's but yeah, there's a, there's a... I also heard that, when I'm not sure if it's true, is somehow the, 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 the chatbot um, uh, central of the world. So <laughs> most of the chatbot startups are actually... When I'm not in the really? chatbot area, okay. I, I don't even know if it's still a thing. Okay. <laughs> but... I, I just know two guys. I don't uh, remember the, from the top of my head how they are called, but they are they have Botium. I think that's yeah, yeah. is is a chatbot testing framework based on the on the <laughs> Selenium Wire protocol. I guess really oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know this. Well, and actually, there's a podcast meetup. Okay, there's a meetup yeah, for yeah, podcasters yeah, yeah. like yeah, us, cool. right? Where well, you should go there I'll to learn something. To it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I heard that. Somebody told me, hey, yeah, and I said, we are doing a podcast, and then, you know, I, I regularly ask people if they want to, you know, be guests in our podcast, and then somebody told me, there's even a meter for podcasts. Yeah, and I said, oh, I let's didn't go this. <laughs> Very cool. Oh, yeah, and so about Java conferences. Yeah. So Well, there was, actually, there was the Fox Days right. um, in Vienna for Vienna, a couple yes. of years, I think, for, I, I don't know how long, but it was since last since last year, yeah, since mm -hmm. last year, um, and then they, they stopped it. This is this VOXXED? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 okay. Boxes, yeah. So it's uh, the, the community uh, conference from the DevOps conferences. You know, the DevOps oh, yeah. conferences yeah, yeah. are the huge Java conferences. I mean, they're not really Java-only conferences anymore, but still they are very right. Java-focused. Yeah, they are Java-focused, yeah. that's for sure. And the, 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 the DevOps usually has more than a thousand people. And for the smaller conferences, they introduced um, Foxed, which is the community mm -hmm format of the conference. Okay, so it's the TEDx of exactly. Java. Exactly, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good that's point. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and there was one in Vienna, uh, I think it was um, organized by the same um, guy who organizes the DevOx Poland, uh -huh. um, but somehow I think it didn't work out, it was quite nice because it was in the cinema, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't know why they, they stopped doing it. Were there so a lot maybe of people a, there? Or? I mean, I, I could just that assume that it would make sense to have a bigger conference in Vienna for Java. Yeah, I think at least the Fox Days should be back yeah. in Vienna, right? Mm. Every village has a Fox Days now, and we exactly. don't have it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so how to how to tackle that? How to change that? That's a question. Okay, <laughs> that's your mission for the next. Well, week. I don't know. That's <laughs> mine. I mean, I literally just came here. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe we should we should um, tweet on on Twitter to to try and force us and, and do something like this again. But you know, I think I was once part of organization of a conference. It's really hard work, right? And yeah, you cannot is. enjoy the conference. That's the yeah. biggest issue. <laughs> <laughs> maybe if we, you organize the best conference, you have nothing of it. Yeah, right? that's yeah. You're just running around that's and. Checking that everything somehow works, right? Yeah. That's true. I'm, I'm uh, co-organizing two unconferences, like open ah, okay. space formats. Okay. Uh, but even that is already. Uh, like how are they called? Um, one is <laughs> that's funny. One is called J Spirit Ooh. because it's in a distillery. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> in in uh, south of Munich, <laughs> really? in Bavaria. In Bavaria, it's okay. actually the uh, modernest distillery in whole Europe and the European continent. Okay. And I think it's the only one that does whiskey in the continent as well and you know very nicely very nice showroom they uh, what they have and you know you can have sessions like oh, philosophical really sessions yeah. right next to we'll the whiskey barrels right next the... to the still so it's it's a very nice setting we'll, uh, but... we will set it in the show notes on the number one right, <laughs> right. okay but cool and the second one? and the second one is in actually in japan it's it's called jay onsen oh. and, and uh, you're you part know, of the organizer yes team. Okay. I know. Well, I've been in Japan a few, a few times. That's, that's okay. a longer story. Okay. Um, and onsen is a Japanese hot spring. Mm -hmm. So it is like, you know, a setting where you can like relax in, in hot water and, you know, some, you know, come together with the Japanese Java community and, and also a lot of international, or not a lot, like, you know, we have maybe 20 to 30 people. And um, does it just take the idea of this onsen or is it really happening inside? Well, one? both. So, um, the, the most of the um, you know philosophical sessions are um, in a, like a conference room or something like that, um, or where you have a flip chart and you know can discuss things. But then if you go to the into the water into the hot spring, then of course the discussions you know like continue. And then sure, sure. this is this is very yeah. interesting and a very so interesting the, setting. The, this is the hallway of this kind of conference. Yes, yeah. yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> to have a nice yeah yeah of course you have it's to have the, a nice it's selling the coffee point. machine is the water <laughs> exactly. That's cool. So you have but to I, I actually I like this format as you said right if you do something afterwards still yeah, yeah you, the, the, the discussions continue and actually oh, the discussions yeah. are the most and interesting that's the stuff. idea of this unconference yes, yes. Yeah. and it's so much more productive yeah. you won't believe it if you have a nice setting you know be it on a nice island or you know in a yeah. distillery or so, somewhere it's, it's way more relaxed and people are yeah. totally relaxed so that's it's really productive actually so I guess we call this a session and this was another episode of Developer Melange. And it was awesome, <laughs> as usual. <laughs>